When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the family on the Tom Bernard podcast with Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Mike Brandt, and we'll be right back. Kelly Carlin, the daughter of George Carlin, will join us. Matter of fact, George Carlin's going to come up two days in a row, Friday and Monday, and I didn't even know she was going to be on today. What so a what coincidence. Do, what do you think of that action? Huh? So exciting. Very exciting. Why'd you come up? Because uh, somebody asked me the same thing you did. You ever met him? And is he a nice guy? And I said yes many times, and he was a great guy. We'll find out more from Kelly Carlin right after this. Live? Yeah, sure. What the heck? Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant. You got people with summer speeding around. They also got all sorts of activities going on, so they're late for activities. Give yourself time. Make sure you're safe on the roads. Make sure you give people room, and don't react. People are reacting to each other, oh, getting into little battles God. out there for no reason. It's like, let them go. Gonna get killed. <laughs> yep, that is true. Remember that happened to me once when high when three ninety four was Highway twelve going out there sure. past the old Lincoln Dell west of one hundred. Oh yeah, a guy cut me off in traffic, and then we had to stop because we were in traffic. The guy next to me gets out of his car, runs over, and hands me a club. Here, beat. No, I did not get it's out. Probably I good. Yeah, I think it might have been a good thing. Otherwise, I'd be in the Gray Bar Hotel right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a different story. It's true. So everything is good? Yeah, be safe. Slow down. Give yourself time. I like it. Michael Bryant. Brad Sean. Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. 
Hey folks, it's Brian Zepp, and spring is finally here. If you're like me, you're seriously ready for some wind therapy. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. I still want to know what a squonks is. We've looked it up. A what? It's it's squonks tears. A squonks tears. We've looked it up and talked about it multiple times. It's a fictional character from like Philadelphia. Oh, no wonder I didn't. It's basically a Philadelphia version of a jackalope. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a jackalope as a squonset? From squonks. Squonks? Squonk. Squonk. It's squonks tears. Is yeah, what, L.A. Nick uh, is he, a squonk, isn't he? He looked, he it, looked up. it up. Oh, okay. L.A. Nick is very squonk-like. He's from L.A. Yeah, he's from, mad uh, about Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Mad we again. have Kelly on the phone. I got a call from him the other day. L.A.'s doing well. Good. Oh, good. Oh, definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, George Carlin's American Dream, our very special guest, Kelly Carlin. And Kelly, you know how they once in a while say that there's a flow in the universe? You know what I mean? Yes. 100%. Well, I didn't know you were going to be on today, Kelly, and I literally have been asked questions about your father for the last three days in a row, Thursday, Friday, and now Monday. And then I find out when I come in today, because I do a morning show in town as well. Uh, but I've been talking about your George Carlin now for literally about, oh, 94 hours in a row. <laughs> I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of talking about George. But um, I will tell you what I said, Carl, uh, Kelly, because... Uh, I was asked, George Carlin, did you ever meet him? I said, yes, I met him several times. And they said, what kind of guy? And I said, and Kelly, I'm very sincere about this. He was one of the nicest people and caring, most caring people I ever met. He was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. I, people are kind of surprised by that uh, <laughs> when they don't know him. But he, because of, you know, his persona on stage, he was, you know, carried around a sledgehammer. But, uh, you know, not like Gallagher. But um, no. you know what I mean. Uh, so yes, but when he he loved people, like mm-hmm. he loved connecting with people, and it was so important to him to authentically relate to people and to just you know be fully present with them. And uh, you know, it's one of the gifts that that he gave me personally that you know taught me how to do that with people also. Yeah, it's. Uh... I don't know. Maybe people people uh, were, were looking forward because uh, the uh, George Carlin's American Dream debuted on Friday and Saturday, right? Uh, just this past weekend, correct? Yep. 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 So that is top of mind, everybody. But uh, and, and Kelly, I'll tell you another thing. It's been a tough uh, road to hoe the last six months. I have because I know I've been in radio for fifty-one years now and doing a morning show for thirty-seven years. This show for ten years and. I've gotten to know everybody. I have lost six very close friends in the past six months. It's boy, a lot of comedians are dying right now, Kelly. What's that all about? Yeah, it's it's a, it is just everything about these times is weird and unprecedented uh, on some personal levels and on the collective level, and it, it's almost like we're we're all stepping into all the things about life that we always kind of kept at bay a little bit weren't sure we would be able to to handle it or or walk through it and and here we are and yeah you know i mean i've been thinking about the the dying of famous people 
for quite a few years. I mean, yeah. you know, when Bowie left and yeah. Tom Petty left, you know, it was like Gary Shandling, who was a friend of mine. It was yeah. like, what's going on? Why are they, you know, it's like, and I feel like, you know, I mean, I don't know how woo-woo this sounds, but I kind of feel like some people are like hitting the, hitting the ejector button, you know, like, yep. all right, seen enough of this, got to get out now. No, that's exactly it. I mean, I just, one thing I should tell you, Kelly, is I, I thought the world of your father. I thought he was brilliant. I mean, not, not as much as I think of you, but close. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, of course, I understand. Yes, so, I, you need to say that. <laughs> I loved your father because your father, without being a jerk about it, would step up and argue. Uh, not even he, he would pontificate, not in an arguing manner, not in a caustic manner at all. Things like uh, the ecology, <clears throat> things like that. He would always point out, "Yeah, you're right, but you're taking it way over the top. It's not that big a deal." I love that about George. Yeah, you know the thing about the Earth stuff and the planet is fine bit is that you have to remember that was 1992. Right, right. Uh, we, had not faced, we had not faced the reality of actually what was going on. He was, but he was very aware of it. You know, when you mm -hmm. watch the documentary, you see a clip of him in the early 70s talking about people messing with the planet and that we're going to be in trouble someday. Yeah. So, but really the planet is fine. That bit in particular, which a lot of people misread, is not about that we're not screwing things up. Right. It's that we think that recycling plastic bottles is going to fix it. Right. Uh, because really what needs to be fixed is human greed and and human selfishness. Love it. And, uh, and so that's the point of it, you know, is that the boomers kind of turned into the yuppies and became selfish and turned their back on everything and, and on each other and on the planet. And, you know, he always had a very, very strong stance about, you know, uh, being at harmony and at peace with the planet and, you know, and, and that the planet has a, has a wisdom and an intelligence of its own, kind of like the Gaia theory. Uh, but, you know, but yes, you know, I think his, his, you know, my dad's positions about things, the way I've really come to understand it is, you know, when it comes to, to thinking to free thinking and free speech, he was very much a libertarian. Really, really felt that that was, you know, you needed to have a lot of space. And But critical thinking was essential. You know, not questioning everything for the sake of questioning, but critically thinking about things was important. Um, but, but the rest of the time, my dad was always about lifting up people who were oppressed yep. or yep. who had been um, pushed aside in order for people to grab power and wealth. And he never punched down. He always punched up at mm -hmm. the system that we've created to govern ourselves and to organize ourselves. Do we, Kelly, the reason I'm asking this is because to be a comedian right now is not the easiest job in the world because, my God, nothing's funny anymore and, oh, it's horrible, or you get punched out on stage if you're the two biggest guys and two of the biggest guys in comedy, the yeah, Chris crazy. Rock, and, and it's just yeah. insane. But your, your father, George, taught me, without knowing he was teaching me anything, and I didn't even know he was teaching me about anything, is to look at things, you know, like you're, you were talking about uh, just now, to look at things and understand. And by coincidence, and my wife will tell you this is true, I didn't know you were going to be on today, or I'd have been thinking about George more. I was talking about him on Friday, and then I didn't know you were going to be on today, but I was talking to Catherine last night that on Friday night, 
I had a dream that this whole God is dead thing back in the 60s, you were just talking about the yuppies and all, you know, after the 60s and all that. But the whole God is dead thing, and I was thinking about that. And I think in my view, in my dream, when I was thinking about this in my dream, I dreamt that God, and I'm not a very religious guy either. I'm not saying there is or is not a God. It's not my choice to make. If there is, there is, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't, nothing I can do about it. But if there, if God is dead, I think it, you know, God is a short version of the word good. And if God is indeed dead, it's because people can't find anything good about themselves, so they just walk away. I really think people are having a real hard time finding out finding something good in humanity right now because everybody is so incredibly greedy. It's amazing. Yeah, you know the whole. It's such a, well, it's such a big topic, and, and such yeah. a, you know, such a, a deep, deep one, but. You know the way the way I see it, and and the way I've always held it, and the way I think my parents always held it too, was that there was this version of God that we were handed that was more of a traditional kind of a father figure, kind of uh, the mythology of that. And really, you know, what a lot of people come to to realize, and I, and I'm a practicing Buddhist, and you know, my dad had some very big experiences taking acid and some things like right. that, where you really. You see the good in everything. You see the life force in everything. You see that we're really ultimately all connected. I remember my dad talking about taking acid once and realizing that everything around him was him. And so there was nothing to be afraid of. Even the shoe in the street and the great redwoods and everything, even the ugly stuff is us too. It's all us. So we're all looking at ourselves. Yes, and and so when you see it that way, and you see that it's just us reflecting us back, and that it's nothing A to be afraid of, or nothing to punish, or all of that, there's a whole different way of approaching life. But I think what's happened in this culture, certainly since the 80s, is that, you know, we've been set on this divisive path in our culture, and it's us versus them, and it's the culture wars. And it's the left versus the right, and it's the gods versus the no-gods, and all right, that kind of right. stuff. And, and, and when we have that, and then you add, you add completely out-of-control, greed-fed social media, Ugh. where people's kids can show up all day long uh, without any need to take responsibility for what people are saying or the impact they have then it looks like there's no good in the world. But when I walk around the streets and I talk to people and all the people I've talked to the last two weeks about this documentary and fans and all sorts of things I've encountered, people are thoughtful. People are wanting to connect as humans. People ultimately do want to help each other. Uh, But the media doesn't show those stories because it doesn't pay the bill. Mm That's a very good point. Very good. By the way, um, we're talking to Kelly Carlin. Of course, George Carlin's American Dream debuted on HBO uh, last Friday night, and then part two on Saturday night. It is available on HBO Max. Um, and again, as I said last Friday, one thing I do like about you talking about cross culture and counterculture and all those things, but in cross culture, there's no better title than yours, Kelly the Buddhist. That's about as cross cultural as it gets right there. Yeah, yeah. I I started practicing meditation 25 years ago and had always been fascinated with Zen Buddhism. Yeah. And uh and you know, I mean like when you know, growing up in the 60s and the 70s, there was always a, you know, Ram Dass's book Be Here Now was on, was on our coffee table. You know, my parents were both seekers. 
very, very interested in their spirituality mm-hmm. and, and, you know, walking that path. My mother, my mother very much so. My dad also in his own way. Um, so, you know, kind of, kind of came natural to me. But, you know, I really do think that those guys from 2,500 years ago, and, and even if you just kind of like Thomas Jefferson did, uh, you know, cut out all the magical thinking from the Bible and just kind of hear what Jesus had to say as a human being, uh, they got it right in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to understand my impact on the world. And I try to stay centered into something that is bigger than my ego. That's wonderful. Did, That's well stated. Did they come to you with the idea of the documentary, or is that something you guys came up with? No, we we were. Um, I've been talking to the producer Teddy Leifer for about two years. And it wasn't quite the right timing for us. We and we had turned down a lot of people before that. Uh, American Masters came to us from PBS and said, we want to do this. And we thought, oh, this will be great. I mean, you know, this is like Mark Twain and Will Rogers. And then they were like, and we're going to have to bleep every single swear word. And we were like, and no thank you. Uh, Because that's ridiculous for George Carlin. Uh, So uh, Teddy and I had been talking for a few years. And then we we decided to jump in and uh, we started chopping around for directors and Judd was on the list, obviously, because of the Gary Shandling documentary, and Gary was a dear right. friend of mine. And I known, I knew what Judd had done with that documentary and how much heart was in it and how much humanity was in it. And, of course, Judd's a great storyteller, and he's got a very high emotional intelligence. Um, and Judd just ticked all the boxes. He's a comedian. He's, you know, he's been fascinated with comedians his whole life. So, um, yeah, we ended up hiring Judd. Because it was interesting, I, I watched some of the documentary, and and I hadn't thought about you know the early start with HBO and how people got excited about what they were showing with some of his early his earlier work, and I hadn't thought because he was one of the early people to have that kind of special on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Robert Klein had the very first special, and then my dad had the next one, and then my dad had. 13 after that. He had a total of 14 specials um, from like 77 to 2008. So, yeah. Well, tell us a bit about uh, about the show. And then, uh, Michael, you, you've seen some of the very... Did you see Friday or Saturday show? Oh, well, it's one... I mean, I've watched part of it. Is I, I don't know oh, what part see, of it, okay. but I watched... Right. I, I was watching it for a while and thought, i got to sit down and watch this whole thing because it was real interesting. But I, 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 was, I was taken by that idea when they had one of the people talk about how he was so shocked when it was on TV and he yeah. could see it that way. And yeah. that was that was a f- early part. I hadn't thought about Klein, but that's early. Yeah, it's very early, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, back in the day, that's the only chance we had to see stuff like that. It's true. George Carlin's American Dream chronicles the life and work of legendary comedian George Carlin, dubbed the Dean of Counterculture Comedians. Uh, Carlin's career spanned a half a century, during which uh, he headlined 14 HBO comedy specials, as Kelly just pointed out, and appeared on The Tonight Show 130 wow. times. <laughs> Holy God, <laughs> Kelly! I did not know that. Yeah. My yep. God. Yeah. Yeah, he started in the early 60s, his first appearance with Jack Parr, yeah. But you know what? I will never forget watching your father walk out on the Jack Parr show or the Ed Sullivan show wearing a sport coat and a tie, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, those early days. Yeah, we, he's all cleaned up. and He was. Yeah. He, looked, he looked really snazzy, Kelly. Well, yeah, and that's really what the documentary really shows is his evolution right. as, a, as a man and as an artist. 
And, and you also see him as a father and a son and a husband and a brother. You know, you get to see the man behind the performer on stage. Not a lot of people know his story, know our family's story, our struggles with addiction and some mental health issues, uh, and really how we, we walked our way through it and the impact that had on him personally and professionally. Uh, you know, they really get to see the full George Carlin in this, and that's the thing I'm most proud of about this documentary. Kelly, did he did he know immediately because he he moved away from the the suit and the tie and the comb back hair and all the rest of it to kind of embrace the uh, culture of the 1960s? But he never went too far, and by that I mean he was George Carlin. He wasn't Abby Hoffman. You know, I thought that was a brilliant move. Yeah, you know, it just wasn't his style. He right. wasn't a frontline activist. He he had. You know, he did a little bit of that more in the in the late 60s, early 70s, when the war was out and he was speaking out and all of his musician friends were doing that. You know, it was a really, really dark time in this country, yep. and people were very radicalized. And that's actually what got him fired from quite a few things, was talking about the Vietnam War in a way that his older audience, more conservative audience, didn't like at the time. Yeah. Uh, but then he eventually figured out that in order for him to really be free and not be put in a box of anyone's making was he had to step away from being a person who was ever thought himself on the front line. I mean, his FBI file was very, very skinny. I was shocked when I saw oh, really? it after he died. I thought it would be really thick. Huh. Yeah, he had two little letters in it, one from the Jackie Gleason show because he said something about the um, the the guy who used to run the Justice Department, um, who I can't remember his name right now, Hoover. Uh, Hoover. Um, oh, yeah, he Hoover. And uh, <laughs> so, of course, you know they had to investigate him. Uh, but uh, and one other thing too. But that was it. You know, he he wasn't a guy who was he wasn't out protesting. God, I think it's a wonderful story. Do you mind if I take a quick break? Come back. We have about ten more minutes with you. If that works for you. Um, I think it does. I think my schedule can do that. Yes, of course. Okay, we'll be right back. Kelly Carlin with us, ladies and gentlemen, back in seconds. Tom Bernard Podcast. Dan Chesky's here from Dan Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Outside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Hello, I'm Brad Huckle, President and Chief Lending Officer at North American Banking Company. And I'm Mike Bilski, CEO at North American Banking Company, Bradley's partner. As a locally owned and operated community bank, we work with a lot of multi-generational, family-owned businesses. Take Raymond Auto Body of St. Paul, for example. Four generations of the Slomkowski family having successfully run the business. When they were ready to expand, we helped them acquire a new building, allowing them to service more vehicles in their state-of-the-art shop. 
We've also helped them set up the next generation of owners, keeping the business and family for years to come. Tom here. If you want a family business like me or any business, you should be banking with Brad and Mike over at North American Banking Company. I know them and trust them with my banking. Every time I deal with them or their team, I know I'm working with experienced professional bankers. Sounds like we really won you over, Tommy. Well, let's not get crazy, Brad. Seriously. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience member, FDIC, and equal housing lender? You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. That's all I know, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking to Kelly Carlin, George Carlin's American Dream. The documentary tracks Carlin's rise to fame. It opens an intimate window into his personal life, including his childhood in New York City. If you don't mind, Kelly, a little bit about his childhood. I don't know anything about his childhood in New York City. Oh, well, he uh, was born in 37. He was uh, lived up in the Upper West Side. His fa- He did not know his father. His mom, uh, uh, his, he had an older brother who was five years older than him. And um, his dad was, uh, when drunk, uh, a pretty horrible, mean uh, SOB. Uh, and um, so his mom uh, escaped out of a the back of the apartment down the fire escape uh, in order to protect my dad from his wrath because he'd already turned his wrath to my dad's older brother, Patrick. And um, so he never had, he never had a father. He, he had a single mom. She worked as an executive secretary and uh, he was a latchkey kid. And he, uh, you know, as you'll see, as you'll all see in the documentary, uh, you know, he kind of kind of raised himself. His brother was there too, and his mom was there, and she she taught him a lot about it, the love of language. and And his father really did have, when he was sober, was an amazing man, and had the gift of the gab, and had won big um, speaking awards and things like that. He was an advertising salesman at the time for a big newspaper. But uh, so you know, he he kind of got the gift of the gab from both of his parents. Uh, and uh, dropped out of school in the eighth grade and went to the Air Force and when he was 17. And But, you know, uh, those are just the facts. Right. Uh, but he, he, tells it him, he tells it himself much better in the documentary. <laughs> well, I suppose that's probably true. It's so interesting listening to the story because you do understand why you like the comedy you like, the actors you like, the music you like, all the rest of it. As you were describing your father's life, I'm thinking, no wonder he wanted people to laugh. I, I I didn't know that was my particular case. Is trying to you know make people feel good about themselves or laughing at the same time, criticizing things that I think are wrong. Yeah, when when you're not doing a lot of laughing at the house, I think when you leave, you go, let's make people laugh. Let's have a good time. Uh, that's a terrific story. Yeah, I I think he was he was very influenced by radio actually and comedy on radio, and he good. just wanted to be those people. Uh, D- Danny Kay was his big hero. You know, and he grew up with the radio, and that was, you know, all those great voices and all those great characters. And he was doing basically all the voices and mimicking all the priests and the teachers and all the adults in the neighborhood. He was on the stoop 
at a very young age, basically doing stand-up. He, he knew he wasn't a fighter. Right. His brother was a street fighter, was a, was a gang member, an oh. Irish gang member. Uh, you know, it was, it was West Side Story. You know, they lived in what he used to call Irish Harlem from, you know, the Class Clown album that he did. And uh, he was much more comfortable and, and had a great ease with, with, you know, I mean, you know, if you listen to the Class Clown album, he kind of tells his own story in it, you know, that that's who he was. He was the Class Clown. I love the fact they called him the, the Dean of Counterculture Comedians because I, uh, you know, counterculture, the way he approached it, uh, he didn't rail on people and go into great rages about it. He pointed things out, made us laugh, and then made us think. And I think that's the proper way to do it. Not getting people angry, but make them think. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you see his career evolve, I think he was very pointed mm-hmm. uh, in the last 20 years of his career and pointed the finger at at conservatives and their hypocrisy politically and they're trying to control women's bodies and things like that and Christian theocracy and no separation of church and state. He was very aggravated and bothered by the Reagan years and and had, you know, jamming in New York and a couple of other big shows where Mm -hmm. he really pointed fingers at them. So, you know, he had no problem taking a stand and, and pointing fingers, but he did it in such a way that he backed it up with critical thinking and brought you along within, within the logic of his argument uh, so that you would understand, you know, where his thinking was coming from, how, how he was building his case, basically. He was kind of like a lawyer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He always built a case, you know, and he always said he didn't, you know, he knew his job was to find the line inside of people and have people cross the line, but also he always added, but, you know, have them be happy that I took them there so that people's minds were expanding um, through the laughter, through the humor, through the perspective um, to take take them along to where he was standing and how he was thinking about things. But he knew that he had to bring you along and open your heart through the comedy and the laughter because when there's this beautiful segment in the documentary where they go into, he talks about the beauty of comedy and how when you're laughing, all of your prejudices go away and you're wide open and you're receiving information in a very different way because your ego isn't there. Your ego has been, it's been kind of pushed aside and you are just receiving this stuff. And, and it's just this incredible little bit that he talks about, um, but they found this piece. And um, and you, you see, you know, underneath it all, this philosophy he had about, you know, why humor is such a powerful art form. Are you saddened by the fact that they're, in a way, trying to take it away from us now? Well, that's not funny, or that's hurtful, or you shouldn't laugh at that, or... Uh, that really does bother me because to tell you the truth, you want to laugh at me, I don't care. You want to pick on me, I don't care. The lawns we're having fun and you're not serious about it, who cares? I mean, the very people that, that George talked to are the ones now saying, well, that's not funny. I mean, not him, but humor in general. People are having a real hard time with comedy right now. I know you know that, Kelly. There's, there's certain things you say on stage, you're in big trouble. There's no doubt about it. 
Yeah, but I think the culture evolves. I mean, you yeah, know, I think um, making fun of people um, for who they are is punching down. Uh, my dad always punched up. Yeah, he did. There's a great interview in the documentary with Larry King Live where he talks about Andrew Dice Clay and how he, you know, his misogyny and how wrong it is. Um, he, Of course, my dad would defend anyone's freedom of speech to say anything they wanted mm-hmm. on a stage. Right. But his his moral center was always about not you know, not harming people who are already harmed by our culture or having a difficult time. Um, you know, so and his thinking evolved around those things all the time. So I think there's just a careful line with all of that. Um, I think it's really important. Like I said before, I think he's a libertarian when it comes to free speech. And I think that's important. But it's also important, you know, what is your purpose in making fun of people mm-hmm. or or dragging people through a comedy routine and pointing out something? What is your purpose? Is it to lift yourself up and make yourself more superior like a bully or is it about enlightening people about the human condition? You know, I think you're in, you know, context and intent are everything. And, of course, my dad would have issues, always had issues with political correctness. But I don't think there really is an issue with it. Dave Chappelle has his fans. Um, Louis C.K. has his fans. Uh, you know, people have their fans. They're doing fine. Um and I think everyone has the right to say, uh, you know, also he has the right to say, I don't like this and get up and walk out. So, you know, I think this cancel culture is a little bit of a red herring and a little BS. And I think it's um, much ado about nothing in some ways because, um, you know, so far the government isn't controlling our speech. Media has always been allowed to control our speech, yeah, and, true, and I, yeah. you know, and yeah. social media is owned by private companies. Um, and there are two dials on a radio, and there's an off switch on your TV or a channel changer on your TV. Um, and you get to you can speak out against people too. That's fine. Um, you know, the, the marketplace will let it all settle out in the end. I really believe. I'm simple. I like things like, hey, nice shirt. You know, I like nice that. Shirt. It works for me. I love a comedy. George Carlin's American Dream. It is on HBO Max. Ladies and gentlemen, it began on Friday night, May 20th, continuing on. Kelly Carlin, you do a terrific interview. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we lost him. I cannot believe he's been gone for 14 years already, Kelly. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's unbelievable. My mother died the same time he did. Your your father and my mother died in the same era, which I'm not fond mm-hmm. of. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you, Kelly. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in any case, I pl- do. please do come back whenever you get a Thank chance. You. Love talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. I had a great time. We did as well. Thank you, Kelly Carlin. Now, Andy, Alex, you guys know George Carlin even? Absolutely. I know him. Sure. Yeah. So you do, uh, what if he's been dead for 14 years? Well, yeah, I'd say yeah, he's probably is... more of a boomer Gen X thing. Oh, yeah. He's even My brother Daryl, who's what, 10 years older than me, he was a, a really big I'm Carlin sure he fan. was, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. 
it's interesting because he I hadn't thought about that, but he he actually had the time period where you were putting out albums, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. got to the point where he's putting out specials. So he kind of bridged that gap. He did. And, you know, her her answer to your last question. I wonder if he would think if you if he was around today if he would think it's that bad for comedians. I mean, he went through his yeah. real early days. He he. Was he close enough to like know the Lenny Bruce going to jail for saying things? Yeah. Okay. He yeah. definitely had issues with what he said about Vietnam. He definitely had issues when things came up with Watergate and with Reagan. So, I, you know, he might look at it and think that's what happens when you're a comedian is you got people that don't <clears throat> like what you say. But the you problem know? that I have is because I remember back in the 60s and 70s, it was the Republicans shutting down the comedians because that's not funny. And now it's the Democrats shutting down comedians because that's not funny. Oh, I, I agree. It's both wrong. But, but I just wonder but, but if... why did it shift like that? I don't I, I'll never understand why it went from the le- the right to the left. Because well, anyone who has power is going to shut down well, anyone who so challenges the And there's just this odd yes. sense of moral yeah. superiority. You know, yeah. They thought that they were more morally superior then now democrats think they're morally superior now i think that's, that's just an how excuse I, I think it's an excuse too <clears throat> i think i don't think they really believe that they're morally superior i think that they want their power unchallenged and they use morality as an excuse you might be right i think some have gone to extreme of believing that the other side's evil yep. oh god and, oh, god, and, yes. and oh, yeah. that they don't want the other side to win some, ever. listen to any politician <clears throat> talk they <laughs> all believe it there's right. money in it i, I don't think they all do, but mm, everyone I've heard. Okay, well, I. I well, that's because they're the ones yelling the loudest. That's true. <laughs> I don't hear the <laughs> silent, sane no, ones. I no, just hear the loud, insane ones. I just it goes back to my dream again about finding good in yourself, because I remember growing up, my mother was a Democrat, and she she did not. My mother had no sense of humor. I will tell you that. No. She had no <laughs> sense at all. I know it was just crazy because all of you were just like, "Oh, he's laughing and joking," and she oh, we did. never. We, I don't. I don't think I ever heard her laugh. We. Oh God, no! My mother not. not she a would big get laugher. kind of a little bit of a smile on her face, but not a not an outright <laughs> laugh. True. Laugh. And I was trying to think of somebody she thought was funny. I, I, I. She doesn't think anybody was funny. We would watch the Ed Sullivan show back in the day, and I didn't think that Jackie Mason coming out giving people Jackie the finger. Mason. You know, I, I didn't think she'd like that much. But I wonder why well, the shit. But but you explained it to me, and I, I do accept that absolutely. It's who's ever in power gets to decide uh, who gets what, to talk, who's funny, <laughs> yeah, who gets to talk, what you get. So it's they're all the same. I mean, they just got a different BS argument. They're all the same people. It's like ugh. Yeah, well, people will always act the same. No matter which side they're on. It's when they get to the top, then they're going to be power mongers. That's but just I mean, how people are. Uh, who's that one comedian they hauled off the stage in Canada about 10 years ago? Oh, that, yeah. A comedian in Canada. They went up on stage and dragged him off the stage mm. because he insulted some the prime minister or something. It's like, what <laughs> the hell? sounds like Canada, all right. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? I don't know who did that. Guy's telling it. I can't remember the comedian either, but it wasn't anybody famous. Don't you don't you think George Carlin talking about Dice K or Dice Clay is punching down a little bit? I would have to agree because Andrew Dice Clay was never funny. Hey, there were certain things about him I found funny. Um, I I kind of like that that character, but yeah, he yeah, would go I way understand. over the top. I, had, just, I did like he the would character. get so over the top that it was. Mm-hmm. But as a character, and he's actually a pretty decent actor. I don't know if yeah, you saw him in the yeah, Lady Gaga bad. movie yeah, and, and uh, a couple other movies he's done. He's actually 
he, but he plays a certain role, you know. It's a, yeah. Well, he's you know. that, that's the role. I, I can't stand that guy. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. why do you want to be that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, remember, Catherine, when we had just moved to New York, when Andrew Dice Clay hit huge, the first time I ever saw him was watching a local TV show in New York City. Okay. And I was going, what the hell is this all about? I was like, what? Yeah, a revival of the greaser. Yeah, he got bringing the <laughs> grease man back, the greasers. I, I don't know. I, I just hope we do get back to the point where people can take a joke again and you can joke but, around about anything. But, but I wonder if that, if there is a point like that. There's always going to be something that people don't like. Yeah. And and I, I wonder, she, she, she is right that maybe some of this is like, Overreacting to the reaction and just saying I whatever so. you know and and letting them do what they do. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I would I'd like to laugh a lot more than but, I'm laughing from watching TV. I mean, Lenny Bruce used to get thrown in jail. Oh you know? yeah, people that cops would show up and wait for him to swear and throw him in jail. You know. But that, what you just brought up is an indication of how tough that job really is. When you're that big, a Lenny Bruce or a George Carlin. You are going to be a drug addict. Uh, well, it's yeah. very, very difficult on your life to be a, a comedian that's that. What about br- Kostaki? He's not a yeah. drug but he's addict, not, but he's not he's, bright enough. There's some there. I think there's been some <laughs> past. I think he's talked about some stuff. Really? Thought. Drug addict? Not sure. I can see it. Uh, I can see it. I can see a drunk addict. completely. Yeah, well, but no, Carlin was a major drug addict. Well, yeah, he was, was a big time drug the logical addict. explanation for doing acid. So he would do acid, and he would find out the world was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to go out here and go That's buy exactly some acid it. right now. It's very know? ironic because Carlin was not exactly a positive person. No, so no. It's like, oh, he learned that the universe is all good, but then he goes and. Uh, Goes on stage and talks about how shitty the world is for an hour. It's like, hmm, it must not have worked very well. He died at what seventy one? I think it was seventy one. He was in his seventies. I don't yeah. know which. I think it was seventy one. I remember his, I, yeah, the jumbo shrimp thing. Jorge that Carlin was, was seventy one. Seventy one. I remember. Jorge. Yeah. Jorge Carlin. Okay, <laughs> that's what we're going with. He had just turned seventy one. Yeah, he had just. That's oh. right. And we see the first Saturday Night Live. Wasn't he like real early on Sunday Night Live yep. too? Yep. Yeah, I think like the first one. I think either the first one or the last one. He hosted the first episode. He hosted the apparently. first one. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He had some role in that. What month did he did he die in? Like the winter? No. He died in the summertime. June twenty second. Oh God, that surprises me. Because usually guys like you know. Comedian drug addicts always die in like January or February because it's so miserable. Well, but he didn't die of like a drug overdose or anything. Just his heart failure, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. which was caused by the drugs, though, right? Well, probably yes, but yes, he had uh, his heart just gave out when he was seventy-one. He didn't look good near the end. No, no, he didn't. He was looking run down. He was looking ninety or under. He did. I mean, absolutely. That's what that life does to you, though. Yeah. yeah, so he I, went Mark, April, May, June. He died 90 days after my mother did. He had a lot of relationships with other comedians because he was yeah. really close with yep. Pryor, I think. Oh, he and Pryor were very know? close. And yeah. I didn't want to ask her because she had the documentary going, but I just wonder about how deep it goes into those relationships. You know, That'd be pretty interesting because uh, uh, those two, I mean, there are, there are a certain group of people. Obviously, they, Rodney Dangerfields of the world, whatever, but George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor changed comedy well, forever. Rodney smoked a lot of dope, wasn't yeah, that Yeah, he deal? smoked a lot yeah. of dope. There's no and hit on, hit on <laughs> Catherine. Do you think those guys get together and like start looking at each other and start deciding who's the worst drug addict? <laughs> yeah, probably. you got a problem. <laughs> Man, you, should, you should get off that stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever you say. But uh, I, I don't think people do understand how tough a life it is to be 
be a very successful comedian. Well, well let's see here. Uh, mental. Average U.S. lifespan is 78.7 years. They actually Enough did a study me. of this. Yeah, I bet. Uh, stand-ups die at 67. There you go. So yeah. over a decade shorter. So the first Comedy th- actors are similar, 68.9. Was Being, the first number yeah. just the average overall for everybody? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I was like... Seventy-year-old comedians, really? <laughs> no, you don't see yeah. a lot of those. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah, see no, a lot. Of, uh, yeah. yeah, being a stand-up cuts a decade off your life. Oh, yeah, it's hard very life. hard on you. It's mm-hmm. a very hard life. First of all, you're on the road constantly. And you deal with all the kooks on the road. On the kooks on the road, and you're always got some jerk. Well, I remember last time Andy Kindler was in town. I've talked about this before. Some drunk sitting right by the stage started railing on him and threatening him and all the rest of it, and. Andy was looking out in the audience for me, see if he could find me to help him. And then he spotted Fitz, who's about twice my size. We went, oh, let's go with Fitz as my protector. <laughs> he's not a very big guy. Uh, no, Andy is not a very big guy. That's no, true. No, he's no. not. About but the size of Alex, I'd say. I think that's one thing that people need <laughs> no, to understand. He's heavier than Alex's. So, well, but, but he's, I haven't well, seen him in ages. Yeah. No. No. I mean, no, God, he's been on some years. shows. Isn't he on a show? I saw him before right COVID, now? so it was the last time I saw him. Yeah. So I never heard that one. It was just, you know, <laughs> it was like four, I think it was four years ago. 15 years ago. Years ago. Right. Well, God, what, his like mom or dad or something died. Yeah. yeah. And yeah it hit him yeah. really hard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember that? He yeah. came in, he was he all. He started tearing up. Yeah. Yep. I do remember that. Yep. Speaking of that, by the way, we've only got about two minutes left here. i got to point out that our dear friend Pat Eberts. I get a call last night, and he is bawling his yeah. eyes out. And I mean crying really hard. And he could barely talk. He said, Tommy, my brother Peter just died. And then he sends me the video of him dying. I was what? like, thanks, what? Pat. I just got photos. I didn't get no video. <laughs> oh, did you get the photos? I get the photos, yeah. Oh, God. it was right. But his brother looked like he was in agony. I know. I saw oh, that. Oh, God. Yeah. But Pat is... Uh, uh, Catherine's cousin, or second or third cousin, Se- third, third cousin, I think. I think. Yeah. Third cousin, second cousin once removed, something like that. Something. But Pat called me. <clears throat> Pat called me, and he was crying so hard I could barely understand him. Yeah. Uh, his brother Peter, and of course, uh, Mike and Pat are twins. Uh, but he, uh, Peter, lived in Alaska. But he went that's to a tough life too. Last week or a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he went to see him a couple weeks because yeah. they, they found out he was going to die. Oh yeah. And I'm telling oh, you, so he, it wasn't sudden. <clears throat> no, but his brother had he had that that mouth agape thing just before you die. Yep. Like he's looking at, he's like, that's called agonal breathing. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the picture you got with it when his mouth is open like that. Yeah. Why would he send you that? Why? Why do people send me? Because he wanted me to be in as much agony yeah, as he I was. Yeah, so geez. No, he didn't. I, Pat Pat considers us family because of your mother. He considers us family because we're family. We because are. No, but I. Well, you're married to me, you're, which you're, makes you family by marriage. You're, what? you're quite a relative. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah. You're it like sure an is. uncle or a dad or something. So, <laughs> the bat. So. Ah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that yeah. is true. Well, I mean, yeah. when Melissa's grandpa died, I think they took a picture of him just before he died. Yeah. And she was like, oh, do you want to see it? And I'm like, no. No, I do not. Why would I want to see that? I, yeah, that's kind of an odd thing to memorialize. Yeah. 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 No interest. Yeah. I'm morbid and weird. <laughs> I, get, I just get, I don't know. I guess it's your last moments with him. So yeah. you're thinking that Still. you'd like to be, I don't know. Well, but it affects you. Remember, I Remember cried the good when, times. when my father died, I started crying. 
Yeah, well, your yeah, dad obviously. Yes. You're going to cry when a parent no, dies. Not necessarily my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's still no, your, it's still it's still your, your history yeah, of I, your I, whole I, life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, yeah. I'm just it's something that's be been nice there if things would have been better. Your entire life is just, yeah. yeah, it's a major shift in how you know your life is. It's an anchor to the past. You know the and only, you're next. The only the, oh thanks, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Mom. The only nice thing that the water indicated. Sorry, I don't know why that came out so violently. You're next. You know the only cheery. The only positive indi- indicator my father ever gave me, do you know what it was? He nice never hat. said anything or did anything, but he did a nice indicator because he couldn't talk. He had all these tubes down his throat in the oh, hospital. I know what it is. What is it? He gave you a thumbs up about mom. Yep. Mm-hmm. He gave me a thumbs up about mom. And that was the only yeah. po- positive thing he ever did. What if it had been a did. thumbs down? Yeah. yeah. Go, <laughs> like a sideways. Where you go again, Doc? A so-so hand. Yeah, another stiff one here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, you probably would have loved me more. To the Eberts family, all uh, God bless you. And that's I know it's, it's God, tough. Hey, we just lost Troy Sorry. two and a half years ago. That was I think about it. Troy's been gone for two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years. It's crazy. Sid, Sid Arthur, it? Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, like I still don't, I still don't accept days. the yeah. fact that he's gone. I just don't get it. That's Two and a half years ago? I haven't haven't seen Troy in years. I didn't get any heads up. Yeah, I have no real closure. I haven't seen him in probably four years before that. I didn't know all of his problems. I didn't know all of his problems. Yeah, that was a weird, weird one. Like I got it. Yeah, and we couldn't go to the hospital to say goodbye. Yeah. We wouldn't let anybody in. Never went to a funeral. Oh, you didn't go to the funeral? Yeah, we went to the funeral. Oh, you did? But it still was just not real. No. No. So was like, if I, I had a COVID funeral, so it was like, oh, that's <laughs> we were all wearing masks. It was one of those fake funerals. I yeah. was like crying and breathing all heavy under this mask. I was like, this is not. Yeah, it's like a grandma's funeral. Yeah. Floyd. Didn't we have to? Yeah, we, yeah, we were masked yeah. outdoors. I know. It was ridiculous. How long has she been gone? Oh, uh, two years. Two years, yeah, uh, I two think. Two years? Geez. Two and a half. No, it's when she died before Troy. Wow. Who did? Two and a half years. My mom. So probably three. Oh, your mom. And May, she died in March. So it was she just, died just before just her birthday. Been, three yeah. years it's then, yeah. Just, wow. just before my birthday. Yeah. I mean, literally like the 29th or something, wasn't it, of March? No, it was the 26th. It was my like, mother died on the 22nd of March. I remember that. Right before everything oh. shut down. Yep. Or like right Ooh, around. we, we got to move on here. we got to uh, shorten next hour if we keep this up. Oh, dear. How dare we? We'll be back with Hour 2 Tom Bernard Podcast.